God, we're grateful to honor and serve and praise an awesome God who loves us no matter what. God, you're always there. And Father, we are grateful. In this day and age, Lord, we need you. And thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today I'm finishing my series on your identity. And if you were here last week, you heard some powerful words from the word of God and a passion I have for what's happening today in this world. If you missed it, watch it later on our Facebook page or whatever. But here we are in Ephesians 6 that uh, we need today. If you don't have it, you, be- you better get, get what Ephesians 6 has for you really quickly here. We're going to be in verse, starting with verse 10 and we're going to be kind of going all over the place. <clears throat> it says, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's going on. If you don't know what's going on. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand firm. That's Paul's advice. The one thing that, that I see in his words is the reality of demons. Now, I don't want to go overboard and get crazy with demons are everywhere. Some people, they, they're like, if you get a sniffle, it's a demon. Or if you have a hangnail or a backache, that's a demon. No, that's not what we're talking about here. But a lot of Christians, most of our lives, don't even recognize the spiritual battle that we are actually in. And if you don't think what is happening in our country today and in our world today is a spiritual battle, you need to read the Bible. Well, you need to read the Bible anyway, but you need to read the Bible. You need to listen to the sermon and listen to some of my podcasts and talk about it. There are things, little things like this. Have you ever felt like, man, life is a struggle and it feels like I'm fighting this invisible enemy. Things like your marriage is hard. You're in a battle. Work is hard. You're in a battle. School is hard and you feel like you're in a battle against these forces I can't even see. It's because you are. They're called demons and they are real. If you would strip away the the thin veil of all our physicalness, our physicality right now, and see the demons that are breathing sulfur against you, you would be amazed at Satan's attacks. But if you could see the angels that are ready to defend you, you would be amazed at their power. What Paul is pointing out here is that you have a very real and very powerful enemy. And when you start to fight your wife or your kids or your boss and you start taking sucker punches at people instead of at the real enemy and beating up one another, Satan just laughs. If you start battling people online or in your family or your friends over COVID and masks and vaccines and guns and all this kind of stuff, you know now what it's all about. He's the real enemy. And until we deal with our spiritual realities, we're probably not going to be successful in this struggle that we are fighting against the devil and his schemes. Verse 12, again, Paul identifies rules, authorities, powers, forces. You can't fight what you won't face. They are real. In fact, Paul identifies there's a hierarchy in hell. I'm not going to speculate what each ruler or authority or power is, but I know this. There are different kinds of angels with different abilities, different authorities, different strengths. 
Demons are just fallen angels, if you remember. So you have to assume that there are different kinds of demons with different abilities, different strategies, different authorities. And Satan is shrewd, and he will put them where they can do the most damage against you. And if you're not ready to fight the devil, if you don't know the moves he's about to make, you will probably get sucker punched by him. But we not only know our enemy, we need to know our weapons. We have a full arsenal. Verse 12, we're going to read through down through 17 and see six different weapons for war that we have. To stand firm, then with the belt of truth wrapped around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flames, flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I'm saying, read the Bible. It's your sword. And what is so interesting about our weapons and armor, it is received, not achieved. Sound familiar? We've been talking about this for a while now, through this whole series. Our identity in Christ is not a result of what we do. It's a result of who God says we are and what he's done for us. Our identity is received, not achieved. Our armor is received, not achieved. Your salvation, God gave that to you freely. Even your faith and your righteousness was given to you by God before you used it for God. So if your armor is so good, then why is it that so many of us are still failing in the battle? Remember, don't ever forget, we've won the war. But there are battle after battle after battle that we have to fight. It's because we don't recognize the simple fact that you are a hoplite, not a gladiator. And I know you're thinking, how dare you call me a hoplite? Wait, what is a hoplite? Well, let me, let me explain what a hoplite is. A gladiator is like what we call MMA fighters. They're just showmen who were the best of the best. They, they used these huge swords that were about soles of my sh- shoulder, not soldier high, sh- shoulder high, and they weren't light. And when you put two men to fight each other, it was a show. It was a blood sport to the death, a major event that the audience would enjoy. Now, a hoplite is a normal Roman soldier. They couldn't use those gladiator weapons. Those guys are the best of the best. These guys are your average everyday soldiers. In fact, you can't use the swords the the gladiators used because they stood together in tight formation. That was called a phalanx. A phalanx was when soldiers gathered shoulder to shoulder and would fight with each other, for each other. Now, they had a weapon. It was a small kind of sword and a shield in one hand and a sword in the other. Up close for hand-to-hand battle. Now the soldiers would go in in this line of soldiers in in front of them and behind them, shoulder to shoulder, shields up, ready in this small space, enough space that you could use the sword for the fight. Now Now your back is exposed, but it doesn't matter. You know why? Because Roman soldiers and Christians never retreat. We don't need to. Because we know we are going to win the battle. As long as we take advantage of God's full armor. And the armor is not just the six things listed here. 
It's the group of soldiers that stand shoulder to shoulder and fight with us. And so many Christians think, think, I don't need other Christians. I'm okay. I can deal with it. I'm I'm the exception. You know what exceptions call, what, what we call exceptions on the front line? Victims. It might not be today. It might not be next week. But at some point you're going, if you're, if you're trying to do Christianity alone, if you're not fighting in a phalanx, you will fail and you will fall. And there are probably many here who would, who've experienced that before. See, God called us to be together. That's why when people say, I don't need church, well, maybe not today, but you are going to die. Well, I see you're the exception. You, you don't need to be an adult Bible fellowship after church on Sundays, victim. You don't need to be in a small group Bible study. I'm doing fine by myself, maybe today, but if, you're, if you are the exception, I promise you will be a victim. And that's why Paul says in chapter 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence. For Christ. That's all of us. You, me, all of us need to submit to the authorities that God has put in our lives. Because the phalanx is only as strong as the bond to one another. Under the authority of our commander in chief God. And he tells some to stand in front line and some of us to stand behind. And when he says submit to one another, basically he's saying you have to stay in your positions. There are three positions that Satan attacks the most. Your marriage, your family, and your work. Satan is good at it. He thinks if he can destroy a marriage, he can decimate a family. And if he can destroy a family, he can kill the culture. Do you see what's going on around the world? He's shrewd. And that's why the first thing Paul deals with here is marriage. And how, health, how to have a healthy marriage. Paul's going to talk to wives first. And then he's going to talk to husbands. So wives, <clears throat> here we go. You might not love this. <clears throat> wives, submit to your husbands, yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to their husbands and everything. Some of you might be thinking, I knew the Bible was chauvinistic. Not even close. Let me explain. The Bible has so many women who have leadership roles. Deborah was a military general in the ancient Israelite army. Miriam, who was a prophetess for God. Maybe you remember Mary, the mother of Jesus. Or Mary Magdalene, who was the first person that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. Okay, well, maybe it was Paul, the guy that wrote this part of the Bible. Maybe, maybe he's a chauvinistic pig. Well, you don't call a Jewish rabbi a pig. It's just not nice. And especially not a guy named Paul. Paul's a good name. A good person. But seriously, Paul would never plant a church in Lydia's house. He would never praise Priscilla as a great teacher of Scripture. And it goes on and on. No, Paul is very proud of women in the gospel. This is not advice to all women submitting to all men. It's wives submit to their husbands. You know why? Because we're better than you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I heard a gasp over here. I was like, so (laughs) let me take a drink first. Okay. 
<laughs> no, that's not why. <laughs> Husbands, we need you. We need our wives. We need your help by showing us the respect. And when you do, it will empower us to provide and protect and to love that you so desperately want and need. Now, husbands, don't start thumping your chest now and thinking all high and mighty because it's your turn. Paul goes on to say, husbands, love your wives. And I noticed that Paul spends three verses on wives submit to your husbands, but nine verses on husbands loving your wives. Could be maybe three times more important, or it could be that wives are three times harder to love, probably not, or it could be that husbands only listen a third of the time. Wives, can I get an amen? You decide. There's a story of a minister who was in his office, and this huge guy comes in. He's 6'5, 250 pounds. He's carrying one of those huge family Bibles that you put on a coffee table. And he comes and he plops it on the minister's desk, and he says, Tell me the verse where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. The minister was a little intimidated. He shows Ephesians 5.22. The guy grabs the Bible and says, thanks. That's what I needed to hear. And he heads out the door. The minister was intimidated by the guy, but he was kind of angry at the guy. Because he knew what the guy was going to do. He was going to take well, maybe, maybe literally that Bible and thump it over his wife's head with that verse. So the minister shouts out to the guy as he's leaving. Hey, are you the wife? <laughs> the guy stops in his tracks. He turns around. He stares at the minister and says, excuse me? I ain't no wife. I'm the man. I'm the husband. And it's just, oh, oh, you could have fooled me because you were looking at a verse for wives. So I thought it might be you. You know what the Bible says to husbands? So the guy stuck around and says, all right, let me tell me. And here's the verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy by cleansing with washing of the water and of the word. Why I have this on. I love my wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for it. And that guy had no clue what that meant. I think a lot of us might not. Because we think that a wife should honor her husband if he's honorable. No. You don't honor him because he's honorable. You honor him because he needs you. Husbands, you don't love your wife because she's lovable, because sometimes maybe she's not. You love her because she needs your love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives. And this is a spiral that kind of moves up and down. It's just that we, we don't want it to go down too far or too often. Husbands, love your wives. So Satan attacks the marriage first and then he goes after the family. If you don't see what's happening around the world, just read an article about marriage and divorce. Chapter 6, <clears throat> verse says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, you, you probably know this commandment is number five out of ten big ones. And it has a, the command with a promise. God said, if you honor your parents' kids, you will live long. Now, I've gone back and forth on the meaning of this verse, and I've said it, it actually means a long life, literally. But I've changed my mind, and here's why. The point is not a long life for an individual. When God said, you'll live, in, you'll live long in the land, he was talking about Israel. If my people will follow my rules, I will, I will protect them in their land. 
And I have to tell you, in our land, we are in grave danger because of the attack of Satan. We talk about school systems and gun control and COVID regulations and the economic collapse. It's a spiritual battle that we are fighting. And we have to win this ground. We have to dig in our feet, clench our fists, grit our teeth and say, from this spot, I will not move. I will protect my kids. We didn't do a great job over COVID. We didn't do a great job for standing up for what needed to be done. We weren't sure of what to do. It was a spiritual battle that we were in. So dads, it starts with you. It says, do not exasperate your children. In other words, don't make them mad. It's easy for dads to do that sometime after a long day. Life is getting at you. And there are moments we, we pour into our kids, into our children, things we would love to take back. These words, some, we say sometimes, you know, how can you be that stupid? Or don't you ever clean up your room? Or will you ever get it? Every negative emotion that is put into your sons and daughters will come out eventually, probably in a huge eruption of emotions or some sort of dysfunction. Here are some stats that, that is, this is before COVID. Some of these stats have gone way through the roof since COVID. Did you know that children who don't have a dad or an active dad in their lives are five times more likely to commit suicide? That's gone through the roof since COVID. Nine times more likely to drop out of school. Ten times more likely to be addicted to drugs again. 14 more likely to commit, commit rape, and 20 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. Now, I know that ADD is a real chemical imbalance in a lot of kids, but I think a lot of ADD is simply absent dad disorder because dads aren't there to attend to raising their own children. No matter what your family dynamic, married, divorced, dads, if they can be, need to be involved. Because according to this, unless a dad is standing in front of his children, they are in danger, grave danger, eternal danger. And wives, your position is to guard your husband's back. Remember, that is the most vulnerable position for a Roman soldier and a Christian is his back. Ladies, have your husband's backs. It's the most important position in the battle. Children need to hold your position in respect and obedience to parents. So the evil one can't destroy the family. But if he does, we get, we get to number three, which is at work. Verse five, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincere heart, just as you obey Christ. And I know this is old language, but it was talking about the times back then, and I'll get to what it means today. But Paul says a slave and a master are going to stand before God on judgment day. So masters better take care of how you take care of your slaves. Because someday you will stand with equality before God. And a man named William Wilberforce was struck by this passage. And in Great Britain, he led the charge to end slavery. And it was this verse and this principle that caught Martin Luther King, who gave him a dream that if someday we stand before God and color doesn't matter, then today we stand before one another that color doesn't matter. That applies to us, too. They're, these are employers and employees. All of us will stand on judgment day before God. If you're an employer, take care of your employers. If you're an employee, honor your employer. Well, my employer's a jerk. It doesn't apply to me. Oh, oh you're the exception. You're the victim. Oh, you, you, you don't know my dad. He, he's a real, oh, you're the exception to this. You're the victim. You, you should see my husband. He doesn't respect any, oh, okay, you're the exception. You're going to be the victim. 
Now hear me on this. This one's going to be hard for us in America. Ready? It's not about our own personal rights. It's about survival of the spiritual phalanx. Where we stand in position so that all of us can win the war that we are in. So if you're a student, your teachers, your authority, you need to show respect and obedience. If you're a student athlete, your coach is your authority. Show respect. If you're a wife, it's your husband. If you're a child, it's your parent. Husbands, guess what? If it's you, it's God. We answer to God. I don't know what name you would fill in the blank. Who's your authority? We all need to stand up and realize we are under authority by someone. And if I think I'm not, I will become a victim and so will you. Husbands, wives, employees, students, athletes, go to your authority some point this week and say, what can I do to help? You see, rebuilding our identity in Christ is a a series of simple steps. When we just look at the word and say, what can I do to live out what God says that I am and who I am? We all have this thing playing in our heads from parents and coaches and teachers or whomever. Some of it positive, a lot of it can be negative. If you have been pressing play on the book of Ephesians, then maybe you've heard a different word. A word from above, a word from God who says, no, this is who you are. You are loved. You are chosen. You are empowered. You are of value. And you, when you begin pressing play on that transcript, maybe you can drown out all the noise of the lies that have been told to you your whole life. I appreciate you guys listening to me over these past several weeks of this incredible book of Ephesians. And I hope it, it changed how you see your life and will change your life. But I'm not done preaching yet. Give me one more minute. Verse 19. The Apostle Paul's in prison. The soldier chained on his one side... And on his other, prays this prayer. He says, pray for me also. You think he would pray for comfort or release, but he doesn't. Paul prays this prayer as I close. Pray for me also that whatever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains. I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for Susie. I'm asking you to pray for Rachel, for the leadership of this church, and for all of you. So that as we pray for the leaders of this church and yourselves, that we may have the power to proclaim Christ fearlessly and boldly to take this city, this state, this country, this world back for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for what you give us in a world that is in battle constantly. If we ever get comfortable, we're missing it. If we don't think it's going on, we don't see it, and we need to get back in. And we need to realize, Lord, that there is a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies right now for our soul. God, that you've given us the tools, you've given us the equipment, you've given us the armor to stand and fight these battles. God, I I just don't know if we realize this often enough that we've won. You won. And you're taking us along with you on to victory. 
But Lord, we know that we have battles to face every day. And God, we need to start winning them. There are some we've lost, some things that have happened that may never return. But from this moment on, Lord, I pray we battle for our lives, for our wives and our husbands and our children, for your church that you died for. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen.